After this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the sick, blind, lame and paralysed, waiting for the moving of the water, because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up, recovered from whatever ailment he had. One man, who, one man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your mat. He replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was cured did not know who it was, because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin any more, so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus responded to them, My father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus replied, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does these things in the same way. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to anyone he wants to. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people will honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Anyone who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. I assure you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God 
and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he gives me, he gives about me, is valid. You have sent messengers to John, and he has testified to the truth. I don't receive man's testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and for a time you were willing to enjoy his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's, because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time, and you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word living in you, because you don't believe the one he sent. You pore over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. And you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from men, but I know you, that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe? While accepting glory from one another, you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe his writings... How will you believe my words? Order. Order in this court. We are here to adjudicate on the matter of number 17 AD 32. The Association of Religious Pharisees, PTY Limited, versus J. Christ of Nazareth. The matter to be decided is the equality of J. Christ of Nazareth with the Almighty Creator, the true and living God. Folks, we're in John chapter 5. And uh, the first few chapters of John, we've seen Jesus arrive, offering life. Uh, but who is he really? Who can offer entry into God's kingdom? Who can offer the life that Jesus offers? 
Uh, can Jesus really claim to be God? Well, that's what John chapter 5 is all about. And if you're investigating Jesus, perhaps you're a visitor here, you're unsure of who he really is, uh, John's hope for you as we read this chapter is that you will judge for yourselves, like a juror in the jury, uh, who Jesus is. But if you've already resolved that Jesus is God, my prayer for you tonight is that you will marvel again at the incredible, audacious claims that Jesus makes about himself and that you will be reassured uh, that trusting in Jesus is the right thing to do. Now, this chapter unfolds a bit like a courtroom drama. I'm just going to get the clicker so I can click us through it. The chapter does unfold like uh, a Law & Order episode. We love Law & Order in our house. Uh, I'm not not sure if you follow any of those legal dramas. Um, All the elements are there, so let's work our way through it. The crime. The crime is described in verses 1 to 9. There's a lame man uh, at this pool in Jerusalem uh, waiting or looking to get into this body of water with its so-called healing properties. but he's been there for 38 years. What a sorry sight he must have been. Absolutely helpless. But Jesus, he comes and he restores life to this man's lifeless legs. And in eight words, his life is turned around. Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And in an instant, this man's life is changed. Forget about the physio needed to restore muscle memory After 38 years, this man is up and walking. Now, of course, we know that this was no crime. Jesus is doing what he always does. He's come to this world offering life to a a helpless, dead species. Uh, And this man, in his helpless state, is just like all of us, needing life. And Jesus, in his abundant compassion and absolute power, He brings it. But John alerts us to the controversy in verse 9, why it's uh, assessed as a criminal activity. Verse 9, now that day was the Sabbath. And we're into the investigation. The Jews said to the man who who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your mat. Now, the investigation was simple. Who was this man encouraging people to break the Sabbath? And eventually, by the time we get to verse 16, Jesus is identified as the culprit. Now, it's a bit perverse, isn't it, that these Jewish leaders were more interested in the fact that the Sabbath rule had been broken than the fact that Jesus had performed this incredible miracle in their midst, and this man who had been immobile for 38 years could now walk. That's absurd, isn't it? That they were more interested in the rule being broken than the miracle which Jesus performed, the sign. And, you know, narrow-minded, legalistic uh, adherence to religious traditions uh, by people with no regard for Jesus, that, that kind of thing still happens. Perhaps you know someone that Uh, insists on having their children baptised. Perhaps you know someone that prays to a picture of a saint uh, in their bedroom or they'll light a candle in a church, but they really 
have no interest in, in understanding and recognising who Jesus is. And God forbid, of course, that we become like this, relishing our own church customs more than we relish the person of Jesus. Anyway, uh, the investigation continues and Jesus' an initial questioning takes place. And in verse 17, he uh, offers an explanation. He doesn't deny what's happened. Uh, he explains it. He says, my father is still working and I am working also. Now, the Jews understood that God himself didn't take the Sabbath off. He, his work was to uphold the universe. So he can't exactly take a day off. We'd all stop existing. And here's Jesus nonchalantly saying, look, my father's working. I am working also. And so by the time we get to verse 18, charges are laid. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so begins a plan to kill Jesus, which leads to the cross, as we know. Um, but in all legal matters, uh, when there's a charge, there's an opportunity of reply to make a defence. And that's what we read from about verse 19, right through to the end of the chapter, more or less. Now, in some legal matters, like defamation, for example, where someone says something offensive, there's different ways you can defend yourself. You can deny that you ever said what was claimed. And that's number one. You can argue that the implications of what you've said aren't really as problematic as what people suppose. Or three, you can use the truth defense. Now, what I said is true. And this is exactly what Jesus does. You've accused me of making myself equal with God. Well, yes, you're absolutely right. Let me tell you more about it. And that's what we're about to read through now. And this, folks, is where stuff gets absolutely mind-boggling and world-altering. This is one of the, the most important chapters in the Bible for understanding Jesus' view of himself and how he is God equal with the Father. And before we look at the detail... Let's just remember what's at stake with what Jesus says. And I'll, I'm going to use someone much smarter than me to set the scene. There's a fellow called C.S. Lewis, a Christian theologian and author you might have heard of. Uh, and he says this. I'll read it. He says, In the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words, the, the kinds of words we read here, would imply what I can only regard as a silliness and conceit unrivaled by any other character in history. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. 
Some people say that Jesus never really claimed to be divine and never claimed equality with God. Well, that's not the case, as we'll see. Some people see Jesus as a moral teacher, you know, offering moments of inspiration, but really according to personal taste, not necessarily for everyone. Well, we'll see you can't do that either when Jesus says what he says. So let's listen to his defense very carefully. First, Jesus speaks of his complete unity with God the Father. Have a look at part of verse 19. Jesus says, Whatever the Father does, the Son also does these things in the same way. Whatever the Father does, the Son, that's Jesus, does these things in the same way. All the powers that God possesses, all the activities that he's engaged in, all that God is and does, Jesus does the same. We're getting a look here uh, into the inner workings of, of the Godhead, the, the Trinity, God, one God, three persons. Now that's complex and we can't cover it all tonight, of course, um, but the Father and Son are different. They are different persons. Um, but what's unambiguous is that Jesus is on the same level as God the Father. And Jesus goes on to elaborate what that means by speaking of two divine powers and functions which he has. Verse 21, Jesus is the life giver. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to anyone he wants to. Jesus is the life giver. And he's demonstrated that very clearly just a few moments earlier. Uh, Jesus is not only the life giver, he is the judge. Verse 22, the Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Folks, these are divine functions that God alone has. Life, judgment. And Jesus is saying, these functions belong to me. Now, these powers or, or functions are also explained as plans. When we get to verse 25, Jesus isn't just talking in theory anymore. He's saying, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, this, the spiritually dead will be raised when they hear my voice. And there'll be a physical re resurrection at the end of time as well. I will call all people out of the graves at my voice. And they will face Jesus in the judgment seat. Those who have done good to eternal life, this is about verse 29. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. Now that sounds like uh, we're judged according to how good or bad we are. Um, salvation, you know, by our moral performance. But in the context of this whole chapter, Jesus isn't saying that. He's, he's inserting himself into the very centre of the end time judgment of the world. Uh, a role which the Jews understood belonged to God alone.
Now, let me skip ahead to section five briefly. Uh, the witness evidence. If you make huge claims like this about your divine uh, status, you have to back it up. In any legal dispute, you need evidence. And in verses 31 uh, through to the end, um, Jesus offers that evidence. He calls witnesses. Uh, you'll see how often the word like testify or testimony comes up in this section. Now, Jesus can't use himself as a witness. He knows the, the legal rules, as we do. If you sign an official document and you need a witness to co-sign, you can't sign it, that part yourself. Uh, you need someone else to do it. And Jesus is the same. That's what he says in verse 31. But he's, there's all these other witnesses that testify to Jesus' divine identity. He mentions John the Baptist, who the Jews themselves uh, recognised had come from God. Jesus refers to the works themselves. And who, who could do the kinds of things Jesus did? You know, turning water into wine. Uh, giving this lame man the use of his legs back. And the third witness he refers to is the voice of God the Father himself in the scriptures. In the Old Testament. This one would have cut deep to the Jews who knew their Old Testament backwards. Uh, he says in verse 39, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. Uh, there is much evidence to point us towards the unmistakable truth that Jesus is God. Now let's come back to the verdict. This is really what John wants. He wants us to arrive at our own assessment of who Jesus is. And perhaps uh, from that last sentence that I just read and Jesus' uh, diagnosis of the Jews, there's a bit of a twist. Maybe it's the Jews that are in the dock and not Jesus. They claim to know God, but they're overlooking Jesus, God in the flesh. But, but what about you? What about you? This is what John wants. He wants us to form our view of who Jesus is and to understand how to respond. Now, in this, verses 23 and 24 are key. I've skipped over them. But this goes to the heart of the significance of this chapter, of what Jesus is saying, and the heart of our response. Verse 23 makes it very clear that because of who Jesus is, he is the one and only true representative of God in this world. Because he is God. Verse 23. Um, Jesus ha performs these functions, the, the life-giving, the judgment, so that all people will honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Anyone who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Friends, the way we respond to Jesus is the way we respond to God. The way we respond to Jesus is the way we respond to God. It's a bit like an overseas ambassador, um, an Australian 
diplomat in a foreign country, they carry all the authority of the Australian government. What they do over there, Australia does. And the way the foreign people, the foreign government respond to them, that's how they respond to Australia. Now that's a, an earthly example, because we know an ambassador and the prime minister, they're different people, but make no mistake here, Jesus is God. And the way we respond to Jesus is the way we respond to God. Now, isn't this at odds with the modern uh, Australian pluralistic way of thinking about spiritual things, thinking about God? For our friends, perhaps our family members, Jesus is seen as one choice amongst many, a personal preference. People believe they can approach God in all manner of ways according to what suits their taste. And to suggest that that way of thinking is wrong or misguided, well, that's highly offensive. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. If you want to know God, you want to please God, you need to know me. You need to please me. And anyone that overlooks Jesus has rejected God. That's a sobering thought as we think about the people that are near and dear to us who have heard of Jesus, but don't really take him seriously. Now, on the contrary, uh, on the contrary, there is a wonderful comfort in this incredible truth as well. We're digesting this huge concept that Jesus himself is God, uh, and there's a warning, but there is a wonderful assurance as well. Uh, if we respond rightly to Jesus, we have responded rightly to God. And anyone that accepts Jesus is reconciled with God the Creator. Verse 24 is one of my favourite verses in the Bible. A few weeks ago, Carolyn asked me if I had a single verse from John's Gospel to print out and put on a, care, on a card in a care package that she was giving to some people. And I chose this verse. Uh, and rem as I read it, Remember that when Jesus says these things, he's saying them with the full authority of God himself. He says, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Present tense, has, and will not come under judgment but has passed from death to life. If you hear Jesus' word and believe that he is from God, sent by God's love to save us, if you comprehend and recognise and, and build your life on, on that, albeit with faults and failings, if that's you, you have eternal life. And your status in God's eyes has changed. You are no longer under judgment. You have passed from death to life. Isn't this just the most wonderful promise anyone in history could ever imagine? And 
It's Jesus, the life giver and the judge who's saying these things. Jesus, the life giver, saying this is how you get life. Jesus, the judge, saying this is how to avoid judgment. So as I finish, can I ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Is he just one religious figurehead among others? Well, that doesn't quite work for this chapter. Is Jesus someone to be, you know, notionally connected to, to learn a bit from here and there, but not much more? Well, that doesn't quite work. Or do you see Jesus for who he really is? God himself, the life giver, the judge. If that's the case, uh, you have passed from death to life. You will not come under judgment, but rather you can be assured that a time is coming when you will know for eternity the blessing of God Almighty. What a wonderful promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus um, as, as God incarnate to reveal yourself to us. Thank you for his words of promise here that assure us of life and uh, refuge from judgment when we respond to him rightly. And we thank you as well for the, the warning that anyone that does not honour Jesus does not honour you. Help us to digest this confronting truth uh, with um, sober minds. And we pray that it would shape the way we view this world, the way we view the people uh, in our lives. Help us with all these things uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.